Welcome to Brit David Podcast. As Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled, Your King is Coming. From Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We hear that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. What really makes it so wonderful is that it is a time for us to celebrate the incarnation when God became a man. It is the most significant arrival in human history. No wonder we go to such lengths to celebrate it. Our King has come, just like God promised. Here's Pastor Tim. I invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of Zechariah. Not, maybe not quite as hard to find as you might think. If you know where Matthew is, turn back two books and you're there. Christmas is here if you didn't know it. <laughs> you can tell by all the decorations, you can tell by the singing, uh, by, the, by the musical that uh, was this week, by the kids' musical that will be next week. Uh, Christmas is everywhere. It's just a part of who we are and a part of this time of year. Sometimes, though, what we fail to realize in the midst of that is that it is indeed the birth of a king. You know, every time there is a royal baby born over in England, boy, they, the, the newspapers camp out and, and all of the photographers, everybody wants the very first picture. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. You could imagine if that were to happen in our own nation, if our president uh, became a father while he was in office, uh, how the nation would rally around such an event as that. But then we see this one, the birth of not just a king, but the birth of the king, the birth of the king of all kings, and for the most part it simply goes unnoticed. It went unnoticed then, and sometimes at least its real meaning goes unnoticed still today. Zechariah, however, a prophet of old, prophesies about the coming of Messiah. Now, the prophecy that we'll read tonight is not really a Christmas prophecy. It's not about the Messiah's birth. It's about the Messiah's life. It's about his mission, and it's about who he is. But one of the things that you'll notice as we go through this passage today is that how Jesus is born is how Jesus lived and is how Jesus died. So on this Christmas season, I want you to see what Zechariah sees when he simply makes the statement, your king is coming. There are four things in this verse that I want you to see with me tonight. And the first is this. We need to celebrate. To celebrate your king. Celebrate your king. Look, if you will, Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse number 9. He begins by saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. There is reason to celebrate Christmas. There's reason to celebrate the birth of the King. There's reason to celebrate the birth of Christ, the Messiah. It needs to be celebrated. 
We're going to think about the origin of our own nation and, and as, as those men gathered together to sign that Declaration of Independence, they would say, this day needs to be commemorated. We need fireworks and we need parties and we need all of these things that we still enjoy today. Well, if the birth of a nation is worth celebrating, the birth of the king is worth celebrating. And we do that, and we do it very well. In fact, it's interesting to me when it comes to Christmas how even those who are unbelievers still celebrate with us. Even those who would deny the very existence of God still show who He is in their celebrations themselves. For example, what's one of the prime decorations that you're going to find just about anywhere? It's a tree, right? Why do... Why do we do that? Why do we go and find a, find a tree and then bring it into the house and decorate those things? Well, it's not just any tree, is it? I'm not going to go out there and find some old dead tree in the middle of winter. There are plenty of those out there. No, we make sure that it's an evergreen. Maybe it's a pine, maybe it's a fir, maybe it's some other kind of tree. But in the midst of the dead of winter... We have this reminder of life, and not just any life as if it's a winter-only tree, but instead it's an evergreen. It's a reminder to us of eternal life always. It's also a reminder to us of the tree of life. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. We'll see it again when we get to heaven. That tree of life will be there, and so this tree that we set up in our homes is a reminder that there is a day coming when the tree of life will be ours to partake in, bearing its fruit all year long. Well, we don't just bring a tree in, do we? It's not just that we set up a tree somewhere in the house. We put lights on that tree. Why do we put lights on the tree? Because Jesus is the light of the world. It's a reminder to us of who he is, that he really is the light. And we think about that in terms of him being the light of the world, but also illumination and being, you know, and having light, uh, being enlightened, that we know things about eternity that we would not otherwise know if it weren't for him. In the early days, of course, they didn't use electric lights, they used candles. Can you imagine having candles on your tree at your house? You know, but, but we light those trees up because it becomes a spectacle and we want to show that thing. Right on top of that tree is probably a star. It's a reminder, obviously, to us about the star of Bethlehem that led those wise men all the way from where they were in the east all the way to where baby Jesus was or the little child Jesus, I guess I should say. That star that's on the top of the tree is to remind you that there are people all over the world who need to come to Jesus. They need to. At whatever stage and area of life that they're in, they need to come to Him. And so we celebrate with that star. You may say, well, I don't have a star on top of my tree. I've got an angel on top of my tree. Well, if you've got a picture of me on the top of your tree, then okay. <laughs> Fallen angel. No, sometimes we put an angel up there. Why? Because the angels were the ones to announce the birth of Jesus. The angel announced to Joseph that Jesus would be born. The angel announced to Mary that Jesus would be born. The angels announced to the shepherds that the baby had been born. The angels are there 
to tell. And we're reminded that we are also to tell. This birth is not just a normal birth, is it? This is a heavenly birth. And all the hosts of heaven are there to be able to celebrate that along with us. You may, along with some of your decorations, you may have a wreath. You may have holly that you decorate with. Same thing kind of about the tree. We make sure that those things are green or evergreen in the midst of wintertime and, and that, they, uh, that, that, that it's a reminder to us of eternity. Also with that wreath that it's a circle, that it never ends. That's a reminder to us of eternity. The colors of Christmas come from like that holly bush. Red and green, red for the blood of Jesus, green for the life that he gives to us. But that holly bush, if you've ever grabbed into a holly bush to grab them, you know that it's got sharp edges, right? It's got those little points. What's that remind you of? Remind you of that, cross, of that crown that Jesus wore when he went to the cross. Poinsettias you may decorate with, just like we've got them up here on our stage. Poinsettias again, red and green for those very same colors. But the, but the poinsettia is shaped like a star. The very same reason, it's one of the reasons why it was chosen to be a Christmas kind of plan, a Christmas decoration, if you will. Now, something a little bit sweeter is a candy cane. Aaron told me tonight he's going to bring us a bunch of big old candy canes. I can't wait to see those, you know. Candy cane is like the shepherd's crook, isn't it? Or if you turn it upside down, or some people might say right side up, then it looks like a J, a J for Jesus, not a J for Jones, a J for Jesus, right? And it's red and it's white, spiraling, never beginning, never really ending, but again, the red for the blood and the white for his purity. Around the tree and decorated just about everywhere else are presents. We've got these presents that are back here in the back in those boxes, ready to go for the toy shop and ready to give those things to needy children right here in our area. You know, those presents are representative of the fact that Jesus is the gift, isn't he? He really is the gift for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He is the gift that needs to be received. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. The presents also remind us of the gifts of the wise men. The gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. Those those gifts were not randomly chosen and they weren't randomly used by him. They were there to celebrate his life and ministry. They were there to celebrate his death. They were there even for for the royalty of who he is. But they played that practical purpose of having quickly to be able to flee from Nazareth all the way down into Egypt. What did they... What did they find, or from Bethlehem down into Egypt and then back up into Nazareth? What, how, did, how did this poor family, when they, when they went to circumcise Jesus and present him on the eighth day, could, couldn't afford to bring a lamb? They had to bring those cheap turtle doves, if you will, to be able to sacrifice. The gift of the poor back to him. How could they afford to make such a trip? God provided for them in those gifts. So we don't choose gifts to give to one another at random. We give those gifts that we believe are meaningful, they're practical, and they're helpful. And of course, you're going to see nativity scenes everywhere. It's a reminder to us that this is the incarnation of the one true living God. 
the God who created all things, the one who is spirit and yet takes on a body. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He is worth celebrating. And so we do. Why do we take time to, to have a musical like we do at, at Christmas time and at Easter time? Because it's worth celebrating in a special and in a unique way. Celebrate your King. Rejoice greatly, Zechariah says. He says, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout with what? Shout with joy. Because he's worth celebrating. Number two, I would ask you to consider your king. Not just to celebrate your king, but really to consider him. Consider him who endured such afflictions against himself. Consider him who went to the cross for you. Consider him and who he is. Notice what Zechariah says in that next phrase. Behold, your king is coming to you. Behold is one of those words that simply says, Now listen, listen, pay attention. Here it is. Behold, look. What is it that he wants you to see? He wants you to see that your king is coming to you. So what are the things then that I need to consider? I need to consider who he is. He is the king. He is draped in majesty and in wonder. He's not the man upstairs. He is the one true living God. He, he's, not, he's not someone that's, that, that's like a good luck charm. Not someone that I go to just when I'm in trouble. He's the eternal one. There's no one like Him. No one that shares His glory. No one that shares His reputation. No one that He can share His name with. He is utterly unique in every aspect of His being. Consider Him. Consider Him. He is the King he is your Lord. He is your master. He is your boss. I don't negotiate with a king. I don't try to outsmart a king. I don't make alternative plans for the king. He is the king. He is the one who determines right and wrong. He is the one who determines the direction of my life. He is the one who, 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 yield, who, who I am to yield to that I might turn to the right or turn to the left. Depending on simply on what he says. Consider him. He is the king. But look at your phrase. He is more than just the king. He is your king. He is your king. You know, from time to time when... An election doesn't go the way that we want it to go. We may say, well, he's not my president. Yeah, which is one of the dumbest things a person can say because he is your president, right? Doesn't matter whether you like that or you don't like it. He is your president. He is not just the king. He's your king. He's your king. 
Now, one thing that's different in this relationship that we have with our king than we have with our president, we get a vote on who we want for president. You know, I, I may not win the election. I may vote for somebody else. But this person still becomes my king. In essence, you do have an opportunity at this point to vote for your king. He's still the king. But he's only your king when you make him your king. When you yield to him, when you give him your life. Remember what David wrote in the 23rd Psalm? When he said, the Lord is the shepherd. That's not what he said, is it? He said, the Lord is like a shepherd. That's not what he said, is it? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Why does he do that? Because he's my shepherd. And I am his sheep. Jesus is my king. He protects me. He provides for me. He points me in the direction that I should go. He is my king and I am his subject. Ever invited to be in his presence. Having said that, that leads me to one other thought that I need to consider in this phrase. Behold, your king is coming to you. And one of these days, he's coming for me. He said that. He said that he would come for us. That where he is, that we might be there also. I know that he's coming for me. But that's not what this verse says. Then say that he's coming for me, he says that he's coming to me. If I had an audience with the king, if I had an audience with the president, I would not expect the president or a king to come to my house. I would expect to be summoned. I would, be, I would expect to be summoned at a specific time, on a specific day, I would would expect that I would have to dress in a certain way and I would have to use words that I ought to use in His presence. I am not being summoned to the throne as if I'm in trouble. He is coming to me. He's coming to you. No matter where you are, no matter what your station in life is, no matter what your circumstances in life is, in all likelihood, when He first came to you, you were in a place, maybe physically, certainly metaphorically, in a place where you're not ready to receive the King. You're not in the right mindset. Not in the right heart attitude. You're not even physically in the right shape. 
And yet your king came to you in the midst of your greatest need. Consider him. When I consider the fact that he is the king. When I consider the fact that he is my king. And when I consider the fact that he has come to me. It makes me love him even more. It makes me want to worship him even deeper. And it makes me want to live for him by every measure that's possible. My king is coming to me. Consider him and who he is. Pastor Tim invites you to join us tomorrow as he continues his message, Your King is Coming, from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.